0: Clones, March Madness ended on Monday night. We know that. But there is still a way for you to cash in at mybookie.ag. If you have not signed up yet, it is not too late. Mybookie.ag. Lay down some money and score big on other things. NBA, NHL, almost anything at all. Join thousands of online players and start betting at mybookie.ag. Here's why you should do it. Maybe you're sick and tired of getting the runaround when you ask for your payout. That does not happen with MyBookie. They pay fast. They pay without hassles. You're wasting your time if you go anyplace else. They even have in-game live betting so you can get down after the game starts. Join right now and MyBookie will match your first deposit with a 50% bonus. Use the promo code ROAM and you can activate that offer right now. Visit MyBookie.ag MyBookie.ag mybookie.ag. Join now, play, win, and get paid. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so it's finally here. After weeks of buildup and anticipation, it is day one of the Masters. But before we get to today, let's take one last moment and review 2018 in golf so we know exactly what we're looking for this week. I mean, if you run this thing down, there have been a number of winners already. Lots of guys to pay attention to as the calendar turns. Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Jason Day, Bubba Watson, Justin Thomas, Phil Mickelson, Rory, even Eldrick has been rock solid. So the fact of the matter is, and this is why I mentioned this, this could not have been scripted any better for a lead up to the Masters. Even yesterday gave us another magical Masters moment when Gary Nicholas Jr., a grandson of the Golden Bear, Hit a hole-in-one with Jack, Gary Player, and Tom Watson standing right next to him. I mean, a truly awesome moment. How awesome? I'll let Jack himself tell you, which he did in a tweet. Jack said, quote, With all due respect to the Masters, allow me to put my six green jackets in the closet for a moment and say that I don't know if I have ever had a more special day on a golf course. To have your grandson make his first hole-in-one on this stage, wow. Hashtag family, hashtag memory of a lifetime. So that's a guy who's had more special moments on a golf course than anybody in history, and he's saying that this one was the most special moment to date. It's pretty amazing. Almost as amazing as jungle favorite Tony Finau hitting a hole-in-one on the seventh in the par-three tourney, and then absolutely murdering his ankle during the celebration. And now at the seventh hole, this was just a moment ago. Tony Finau. Come on, come on, hit it! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> With his wife and four children with him. Whoa. Don't hurt yourself. Oh, well, let's hope he didn't. He's waving that he's all right. I hope. Waving at his family to come join him. About to play in his first Masters tomorrow. I'm telling you, that went from something that was incredible, something awesome, to something really disgusting in a matter of seconds. Hey, I'm the doctor. I don't even play one on TV or on radio. But ankles are not supposed to bend like that. My man looks like he put his foot on backwards. That's something you see out of the saw. So what did he do? What did he do? He popped it right back into place and kept on rolling like it was the most normal thing in the world. You drop an ace at Augusta. You drop your ankle into the ground. You pick it up. You pop it right back into place. And then you head on to the next hole. Yeah, I don't know. If that were me, if that were me, And my ankle went in that direction. I'm going to lie on the sacred turf of Augusta in a puddle of tears and start puking. But Tony, my man, he popped right back in. And if you want to clown this guy for not being athletic, if you want to go with some tired smack about that's what happens when golfers try to jump, then step off. Step off because you've never seen my man. You've never seen Tony dunk. This dude is an athlete and a golfer. And to prove that, he was cleared to play today, which is amazing. Total dislocation. I mean, that was Wednesday at the Masters. A moment from a Hollywood film and a moment from a horror film. And that's before we talk about the contenders. That's before we talk about the actual favorites to win this thing. So, is it the year that Ricky Fowler finally breaks through and shakes the title of best to never win a major? How about Hefty? How about Hefty? Hefty's got a horrendous wardrobe and a ton of confidence. Could this guy turn the clock back? What about Justin Thomas, quickly turning into a monster? And after winning at Bay Hill, does Rory complete the Grand Slam once and for all? And how about Eldrick, who's on the course right now? Eldrick is even through four, two shots back. He is playing better than he's played in years. But rather than give you my take on him, and whether he still has that it or that intimidation factor, I'll let you listen to Dustin Johnson instead. DJ said, quote, He's got a little bit of an intimidation factor still, but it is Tiger Woods. He's probably one of the best players to ever play the game. Oh! Damn, he went there. He went there. Tiger Woods is one of the best players ever. And maybe you pump the brakes on that. Are you sure you want to put yourself out there like that, DJ? Tiger Woods, quote, Probably one of the best players to ever play the game. Damn that scorching hot. Hey, DJ, where do you come out on Babe Ruth? Pretty solid ball player, right? Definitely a top 100 guy, right? Or do you want to think about that? How about Michael Jordan? Would he crack your list of the top 75 basketball players of all time? Dustin Johnson can say without fear of being wrong that In-N-Out is one of the top 15 restaurants that serve hamburgers on the West Coast. Hey, look, Dustin, no worries. I'm with you. Tiger Woods probably is one of the best players to ever play the game. He's definitely one of the top 50 guys ever. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dustin, especially when you're going out on a limb like that, but when you really drill down on this thing, when you really crunch the numbers, when you run all the analytics, I can make a pretty strong case that Tiger Woods is right there among the top 35. And if somehow this guy does manage to win this weekend... Look out, then my man is top 20. Yeah, I said it, top 20. I guess what I am saying though in reality is the buildup has been perfect. If the next four days can match the buildup, this is going to be tremendous. Guys were already playing. The course looks good. Everything feels good. I like all of our chances. The golf course looks good. My
1: golf swing feels good. I like my chances.
0: Ryan Getzlaff is my guest. Ryan, good to have you back. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Jim? Good, good, bud. Good. Really well. See, so you beat Minnesota, Ryan, last night 3-1. to In the process, you clinch a spot in the playoffs. I understand, Ryan, this has not been the easiest season of all. So how good does it feel to know that you've punched your ticket once again and you're back in the postseason?
2: That was good. I mean, obviously, we set some goals earlier in the year um, with the way our team started and the injuries and stuff that we had. And um, getting to the playoffs was one of them. So... Um, that's a good start for us, and obviously we're thrilled to be a part of it again this year. You
0: know, When you go through a season like this, where the team is tested by injuries and setbacks, and you really don't get your team together until December, it seems to me, Ryan, a lot of other teams might collapse, they might give up. You guys did not. What's to say about the character and the grit you have in that room?
2: Well, it's been great. I mean, I thought it showed a lot about our organization and the fact that we had uh, the number of guys we had out, um, the depth of the organization stepped up, kept us afloat until we got our lineup in, and Uh, the second half of the year, we've been able to take off and do what we wanted to do, and um, it's been a grind right down to the end here.
0: We're talking to Ryan Getzloff, you know, as the captain. I mean, you're going to lead from the front, you're going to set the tone for the room, obviously. I mean, privately, Ryan, did you ever think, was there ever a moment where you thought, man, there's so many things working against us, maybe it's just not our year? Well,
2: you know, I think there's You'd be lying if you didn't say there was a couple points during the year where you thought it was going to be a little bit tougher than it needed to be. and um, There's a couple stretches where we didn't play very well and we couldn't really afford to do that um, this year. So it was kind of one of those things we had to turn things around right away and every game was really important. So um, there was definitely a little bit of doubt here and there. But um, as a group, we we always believed that we could get to where we wanted to be and that was in that playoff.
0: We're talking to Ryan Getzloff. You know, one of the things that you pointed out after the game was the team is playing the right brand of hockey, and the key is to maintain that as you go forward. How would you describe the right brand of hockey that you're playing right now? What's that look like?
2: Well, it, it's a much more of a team game. I think that um, on a nightly basis, if you can go out and execute, and um, I don't want to say boring hockey, but you definitely want to make sure you're taking care of the puck at the lines, those kind of things this time of year. And Because um, once you get into the playoffs, there's one bounce here or there can make the difference in the series or the game. So... Um, it's important that you, we understand how to play with the lead, how to do those certain things, and uh, we've been displaying that a lot better as of late.
0: They're going to host Dallas tomorrow night, but last night Ryan Miller gets in, and he gets the start goal for John Gibson, who's out with an injury. That was Miller's first start, Ryan, in nearly a month. He comes up big. How valuable is it to have a guy like that as a backup that you know you can count on whenever you need him, regardless of when he last got in?
2: Well yeah that's been the nice thing with Milzy all year um and and frankly that's the exact reason why he was brought here is um he's a veteran guy that's been proven to be able to play at any time and um and he's been nothing but professional the whole time supporting Gibby every chance he got and Um, and played great for us every time he's been in there.
0: This Thursday episode of the Daily Jungle is brought to you by Fan Exchange. Are you thinking about buying tickets to your favorite sports, concert, or theater event right now? Or maybe you want to experience a basketball game courtside rather than on your couch. Or how about banging on the glass at the hockey game instead of on the TV in your living room? I've got your ticket. FanExchange.com. Head on over there right now for a safe, easy, and reliable experience. Tickets purchased on FanExchange are always guaranteed. So you don't have to worry about getting to the gate and not getting in. Whether it's NBA, MLB, WrestleMania, Coachella even, or a Broadway musical, FanExchange will get you closer to the action and you can find the very best seats at the best prices at FanExchange.com. In fact, use my promo code ROME Promo code Rome will get you 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange, we have tickets. Ducks Captain Ryan Kesslop, my guest. A few days ago, I'm laughing because you came out of practice, your car was missing. What's going through <laughs> your mind when you come out and you can't find your car, and what was the process like for finding it, searching for it?
2: <laughs> well, I was looking around the parking lot for a little while, a little confused, and then I called my I called my boss with my cars, who takes care of my cars, and I asked him if he picked it up, and... Um, and I wandered around the video surveillance probably didn't show as as funny as it actually was watching me walk around that whole place
0: can I tell you something Ryan that happens to me almost every single day and it's not <laughs> because somebody did that. It's because I just don't remember where I put it of course the guy behind the prank was J.S. Jagir did you see him while you were looking for your car and if so how did that conversation go did you have any idea that he might have had something to do with it
2: well, I kind of figured as soon as um, – the, the way I, I did actually see him, and he did a heck of a job um, keeping a straight face throughout the whole thing. But, um, you know, the, the way I narrowed it down was basically there was only two guys that I thought on our team um, that were, would actually get in that car and drive it. And Jiggy was definitely one of them. So.
0: Now, Jiggy says that he was doing it as revenge for something that you did to him 10 years ago. Do you even remember what you did to him that would inspire him to come back like that?
2: I don't have a clue, but I'll definitely be doing something else this year or next year. So uh, we'll get ready for that.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you felt about it, but I got to give this guy respect. I mean, this guy's retired and he's still coming at the captain, even in retirement with something like that. I mean, on some level, you got to respect that, right?
1: (laughs)
2: Yeah. Or maybe not. He's, He's still treating me like a rookie. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Ryan Getzloff, my guest. All right, so back in the day, you used to run the team's March Madness bracket, and that was all on paper. That was all manual. Now that it's on a computer, how much easier is your life, and how did your bracket treat you this year?
2: Oh, buddy, it's so much easier. Um, those things are a mess when you're doing them on paper, but uh, my bracket was okay. It was down. I was in the top five, I think, but uh, ultimately this year was incredible, the difference in the, <laughs> the teams losing early and those kind of things.
0: I do want to take one moment, though, and address something that happened on the show yesterday. When discussing Yankee fans who booed Giancarlo Stanton on his home debut, I used some harsh language. Admittedly, I called those Yankee fans, not all Yankee fans, but those Yankee fans, losers. Yeah, I know, pretty harsh. Pretty strong. And for some of you, it was too much. But the truth is, it was completely right. In fact... If anything, it probably was not enough because all you losers had to do was wait a few more hours and you would have gotten this.
3: And the pitch is swung on, and there goes the deep
0: left. It is high, it is far.
3: It is gone. Giancarlo, non si
0: posto parlo. It's a Stantonian home run. 458 feet, 10 rows deep into the second deck in left field. And 117.9 miles per hour, the hardest hit ball in the majors this year. And you didn't even have to wait a full day to get that. To quote Aaron Judge, it was loud. It was impressive. Yeah, it was loud, and it was impressive, and it was way louder and way more impressive than the tools who were killing this guy the night before, and it was in the first inning. So you clowns who booed him in the eighth on Tuesday only had to wait until the first on Wednesday, but you couldn't do it. You couldn't resist. You had to unleash hell on this guy to let him know that he was in New York, that he's in your house, and that you set the rules, except you're wrong, completely wrong. I hate to say I told you so, but I literally told you so. I told you this is why you do not boo John Carlos Stanton on April 3rd. Because he'll do that on April 4th, and then you'll look like a fool. This guy is a great player. You just need to give him a minute. I mean, like, literally a minute. Like, his very next at bat. I also said that if you hold off booing until August... I, uh, I understand that. That would make sense. If you could have waited at least until the end of the week, you would have spared yourselves a ton of embarrassment. But if you're booing a guy in his home debut, I'm guessing that being embarrassed really isn't a thing for you anyway because you're probably pretty proud that you did that. In fact, you're probably saying right now that he homered last night because you booed him the night before. Yeah, because that's what that is. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the fact that this guy's an amazing player with a relentless drive and motivation to improve. I doubt that had anything to do with it. I'm sure it all came down to you booing him, motivating him, getting in his head, letting him know how it was. So then he could go home and then think to himself, man, they booed me. That tells me I'm in New York. That tells me this is all different. That tells me I better go to work. I better try harder. Yeah, much as you want it to be that, that's not how that works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he struck out three times yesterday. Want to boo him for that, too? Or are you okay with him now that he hit a home run for you? Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, also had two-run bombs. Would you like to take credit for their home runs? I mean, why not? I'm sure that they were inspired by you booing Stanton and thought, man, we better do something, too, before they turn on us also. Nope. I would say this, if the last two days taught us anything at all, it's that Stanton comes out as the huge winner and everybody who booed him is still a huge loser. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. That's why you don't do that. His very next at bat, very next at bat, he showed you. That's why you don't do that. Tyrell Crosby is my guest. Tyrell, great to have you on. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. I'm always curious about the draft process itself. It's now three weeks from today, and the process, I would imagine, of course, I've never gone through it, but I would imagine the thing could feel like an eternity. How's it felt to you? In other words, can you enjoy the process, or are you ready to get this thing done already to find out where you're going to live and where you're going (laughs) to work?
1: Yeah, each day is some of the longest days of my life, just uh, having to make sure my phone's always on me just in case the team's calling, trying to do a workout or plan a visit, but um, I'm just excited about the whole process, to be honest, and when it's over, I'm going to be kind of glad it's over, just have a lot of stress kind of behind me and just figure out how, or like where I'm going to live and all that, so. Just a
0: process. I get that's it. Fun. I get it. Tyrell Crosby joining us now. As I mentioned off the top, you won the twenty seventeen Morris Trophy, which is an award yeah. given to the best offensive lineman in the Pac twelve. But it's voted on the or voted on by the Pac twelve defensive lineman. How much does it mean to you then that it's an award that's voted on by your opponents and the guys that you went up against every Saturday?
1: Yeah, just having that award and knowing how it's voted upon was a was a great feeling. Just because a lot of times people say it. In the, an award is biased and, um, there's like politics behind it. But with this award, it's voted upon by the D lineman that you've gone against all year. And it's just a great feeling after I found out that I had won it.
0: You know, as I mentioned, you had not allowed a sack last season. But the truth is, the streak, it actually goes much further back. According to one set of numbers, you have not allowed a sack since 2015. It's a streak that includes 624 (laughs) pass-blocking situations. So how much pride do you have in that number and the fact that when your quarterback goes back to pass, you know you've got him protected? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, really. Throughout this whole year, I wasn't thinking about it until the uh, last nap of the Senior Bowl when I realized... I never gave up a sack that whole year, and uh, looking back and just reflecting on that, that, that was such a great thing to think about. Um, as an offensive lineman, you never want to have your quarterback hit, sacked, or just touched in general. And to know I protected whoever was behind me each and every play, I just have a tremendous amount of pride for myself.
0: You should. It's an amazing streak. Now, there's no denying your physical ability, but physical ability is not enough to be a great offensive lineman, of course. you got to have the right attitude and mentality. So how would you describe your attitude when you're on the field? Uh,
1: whenever I step on the field, I want to be the best player on the field. Regardless who else is on there with me, I'm going to try to out-compete anybody on the field. and I just want to bury a guy every play and just do my job and make sure uh, whoever's running behind me or throwing behind me or whoever has the ball is protected and As a whole line unit, we're just doing our job each and every play.
0: And see, what's funny to me about this attitude is, and I can even get the sense talking to you right now, I mean, you're a really good dude. You come across as a really (laughs) nice guy, but there's this great story from your time at Oregon where you absolutely destroyed cornerback. Arian Springs, in practice, and he said the two of you were just chatting as you walked over to the practice field together, and then he said, quote, we were just friends a minute ago, end quote, and then you demolished him. So how do you explain that? Can you flip a switch when you step onto the field? Yeah, just
1: whenever I'm off the field, uh, anybody can come up, talk to me. Um, I'm just always a guy who loves to be around people, help people, and just be there for others. But as soon as I'm on the field, if you're on the opposite side of me, I'm going to come after you, no matter what.
0: Clones, I've got an amazing opportunity for you on this Thursday. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? I mean, you can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. Thrive Market is stocked with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. They've got everything you need, whether your diet is paleo, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, plus kids' products and much, much more. Simply click on a product and you'll see things like why you'll love it, price comparisons to retail, nutritional information and more. Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off and now they're giving you an extra $60 in free groceries plus free shipping. Once again, get 60 bucks of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. Go to thrivemarket.com/rome Terrell Crosby joining us. Now, you started 12 or 13 games in 2015 at right tackle. Then you moved to left tackle for the 2016 season, but your season was cut short due to injuries. As yep. somebody who competes, somebody who wants to be out there every single play helping the team, how frustrating and challenging was that 2016 season? What was that like?
1: Yeah, I just first Nebraska uh, ended up getting injured for the rest of the year, and kind of after the game, it, it hurt a little bit, just knowing my season was done, and I couldn't play anymore and just how the season started to unfold and just go downhill really sucked being on the sideline. But I realized I can either just hang my head down, complain about it, or I can do something about it. And I was just really trying to help the young guys. We had four red shirt freshmen starting at that time. And I knew what it was like to start as a freshman. So I just tried to give all the advice I could to those guys and just really be there and for them as like a player's coach. And also used it as a way to learn uh, just because I never really sat out. Um, So I was just absorbing everything I was seeing off the field and just like watching it unfold and how players developed and just kind of just trying to learn the game through a different way rather than just firsthand playing in it.
0: And then you came back, you had a huge 2017. Now you and I talk process. Since the end of the season, I know you've been hitting your training really hard. What's that part of the process like and how much have you changed your physique as a result since the end of the season?
1: Yeah, so... Just a lot of the training um, up to the combine is things really not relating too much about football. You're still doing your position drills and work like that. Um, but, yeah, you got to learn how to run a L cone you got to do the shuttle. Uh, learn how to run 40 yards. Learn how to jump vertical bench, 225. So um, you just got to kind of approach it like you're taking a test in school. you got to just keep practicing, trying to learn and study how you can get better at those drills just because you're being tested on it. And towards the end of the season, I was probably weighing at, like, 225-ish. But when I got to the combine, I was down to 309.
0: Mm. Tyrell Crosby joining us. Now, you're not just making it about you, though. I've seen you've been hyping Josh Allen. You've spent some time with him. (laughs) What is it about this guy that makes him unique, makes him special?
1: (laughs) Josh, uh, he's such an awesome person. Um, Every time you step in the huddle with him, you knew he was in the huddle. You knew you had someone who you can trust back there and just all around a great guy. Nicest person I've met and just really humble, but not afraid to let someone know he's one of the best quarterbacks in this draft. And I'm just, I'm really excited every time I see his name um, on TV or something. And just, I know he deserves to be where he's
0: at. Huh. You think he should go first overall?
1: If he went first overall, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: Tyrell Crosby joining us. Listen, you're from the Las Vegas area. You played your high school ball at Green Valley High School. And when the team came to the Las Vegas Bowl at the end of last season, you changed your number from 73 to 58 to honor the victims of the Las Vegas shooting. I thought it was an extremely touching gesture. Why was that something that you wanted to do? And then how did that shooting impact you? Yeah,
1: so as soon as I kind of heard talks that we might end up in the Vegas Bowl, I realized that's my hometown and just huge tragedy just happened and it'd be awesome if I can honor all the victims and their families and just the city that I'm from in a way and kind of clicked. I mean I can change my number and as soon as I found out that we're going to the actual Vegas Bowl, I talked to Kenny Farr our head equipment guy and ran the idea through him and he agreed and he did everything in his power to allow me to change my number. But um, Yeah, the whole tragedy just I still pretty much remember the day it happened and sitting in my room, just feeling like I'm there, just seeing all the tweets or like the uh, feeds on my Twitter. Remember seeing my friends, Snapchats who were at the event and trying to get a hold of them, making sure they're okay. Um, And just seeing how devastating that event was. And just, it was kind of just hard for me to believe that it was actually happening. And, even when we drove past, because we stayed uh, at the Delano, which is adjacent to the Mandalay Bay, the same property pretty much. Uh, every time I just drive past the hotel and like walk into my hotel room, I just kind of feel like an airy vibe, just knowing what occurred here in October.
0: Tyrell Crosby joining us, without question. So when you consider all the work you put in, do you have any idea how it's going to feel when you finally hear your name called and the dream of being an NFL player is finally a reality?
1: Um, after I hear my name called, I know it's time to really start the business. It's really time to take it up another notch and have fun with the whole process just because not many people are able to be in the shoes that I am, and so many people would die for this opportunity. So um, just really take it one time or one step at a time and just continue to get better each and every day.
0: Mark Ingram. Meet a canine security pup. You can hear the oohs and ahs. If you can't see this, people are freaking out because that dog got a running start, went airborne, and got up right around this guy's shoulders, caught that kind of air, and took him out. Mark in the Michelin Man outfit without a tackler in sight. That dog made one of the greatest open field tackles I have ever seen in my life. Airborne brings him down in a split second. I mean, holy crap. That was really, really impressive. Former Dallas Cowboy Roy Williams would be proud of that horse caller. Textbook. And then not only that, once that dog locked on, he was not about to let go. The runner was down. The play was whistled dead. The officials are coming in to spot the ball. And the dog is still locked on. The dog will not let go. Amazing. Easily the tackle of the entire year. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, I've got to run that thing back one last time. Get him. Get him. All right, so in fairness to Ingram, he was not running at top speed. But I'm not even sure that it would have mattered if he was running at top speed. I'm not sure how fast you can run in one of those insanely padded suits. But that's neither here nor there because that canine was going to get this cat no matter what. If you look closely, and this is one of my favorite parts of this whole thing. If you look at it closely, Ingram tries to throw a move on the dog. He tries to juke the dog. Maybe spin away a little bit. But the dog is smarter than the guy. The dog did not bite on the fake. Instead, that dog is fundamentally sound. That dog did not bite. Instead, the dog bit on his arm and his shoulder and his neck. I'm not sure what I'm more impressed with. Ingram for taking on the challenge or the dog for taking down an NFL stud. Call it a tie. Because it's not like Ingram is some sort of scatback you can just knock over with a feather. This guy's a load. And that dog brought him down like he was nothing. That dog is giving up way over 100 pounds to a Pro Bowl running back and he made it look easy. I gotta know what happened. I have to know what happened. Let's do a post game interview, Mark. One question, just one question. What the hell happened?
4: Listen, man, the dog, the dog video. There's a lot that goes into it, right? It was a crazy situation. So, everybody, I was peer pressured. I haven't felt into peer pressure in my whole life, and they peer pressured me to go out here and get attacked by this dog, right? So the first time, he just ran up close to me, bit my arm, I handled him. Second time, he was a little farther away, bit my arm, I handled him. Then the third time, they said, run away from him, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to run. And everybody else was like, juke him, juke him, like make him miss, right? So I'm like, no, 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 the dog looked excited. So I'm like, no, I'm I'm not going to juke him. And so I started running. Then I saw him behind me, and I was like, okay, let me spin out of it. Then I spun, and he got my arm. Then he slung me. He horse-collared me. But I got up, though. But I got up, though, like a champ. Because I'm a beast. I can't let him hold me down.
0: I'm telling you, that recap is almost as good as the matchup itself. That was so great. First off, I love the fact that he said it was the result of peer pressure. He was peer pressured into that. That should be a PSA right there. Kids, this is running back Mark Ingram with a message about peer pressure always be yourself. Never, ever give in to peer pressure because you could end up being attacked by a dog at an Italian air base. Also, I'm going to take Ingram his word and say that peer pressure played a role, but we got to be real now. You know, you know, there was a part of him that probably wanted to see what would happen. There was a part of him that wanted to measure himself against that military canine. Because there's no amount of peer pressure in the world that would make me throw on a padded suit and get run down by a dog. I mean, my friends can kill me. They can get on my case all they want. I'm not serving as some giant pork chop for an attack dog. Except Ingram. That's a competitive dude. A competitive dude who was up for it. And I'm guessing there was some little voice inside of him that wanted to see if he could take that dog. If he could beat that dog. And We are talking about one of the most competitive guys in the world. And from the telling of the story, it sounds like he did hold his own before the video. But then it was go time. And while that dog did take him down, while the dog took him down, the dog could not keep him down. Mark is right. He did get up. Bro, you are a champ. You are a beast. You cannot let that dog hold you down. Total respect. Because I'm a beast. You are a beast and a champ something tells me, Sean Payton, on the other hand, he probably did not have total respect watching that video. In fact, I'm guessing he probably had total fear. Can you imagine what you're thinking if you're Sean Payton? You're trying to build a Super Bowl winner, and this guy is a live tackling dummy for security dogs. If I'm Payton, I'm jumping on the phone right now, and I'm telling Alvin Kamara... Drew Brees, Cam Jordan, and everybody else on that roster. Wrap yourselves in bubble wrap and cotton for the next four months. Stop messing with attack dogs. Stop trying to measure yourself against an attack dog. And I'm telling Ingram, my man, thanks for being there. Respect for being there. And yes, they probably did peer pressure you into that. My man, wear that padded suit the rest of that USO tour. And then under my breath, I am going to tell him, respect, dog. Respect. That's pretty damn cool.
4: I can't let him hold me down.
0: No, man, you pop right back up. Nice job. We are joined by Jeff Passan. Jeff, what's going on? How are you? Van Smack. How is life, my friend? Jeff, things are great on this side. How about you? How are things?
3: Living the dream, man. Baseball is back. Shohei Otani can hit. Things are good.
0: (laughs) Why don't we start right there? You've openly acknowledged that you've got some crow in the oven because of what Shohei's been doing. You're not the only one. Far from it. Before we talk about what he's done in the first week, go back for a minute. Based on what you saw in spring training and from talking to people around baseball, what were you expecting to see from him this season? Here's the thing.
3: It wasn't the spring training stats themselves that made me think Otani wasn't going to be able to hit. It was a number of things. It was the swings that he was taking, which is what scouts are looking at, the quality of the swing, the bat path, the quickness of his hands, uh, the load uh, on his lower half. All these different things that add up to make for a major league quality swing were just not there. But it's funny. I had a scout text me yesterday, and he said, you just learned the lesson about scouting Asian players. And this is a guy who's been... In the Far East, in Japan and Korea, uh, looking at players for decades now. And I was like, what's that? And he said, don't pay attention during spring training. Ichiro was garbage during spring training. So many of the Japanese players that come over just are getting adjusted. And maybe that's one thing that I didn't take into mind. I said it out loud that the adjustment that Otani needs to make in terms of the language, in terms of the culture, in terms of all of these things is so immense that... Putting hitting and pitching, each of which are individually hard enough to do in the first place, on top of it, is an immense thing for any man to take on. But what he's done in this first week, it's been absolutely incredible. And it's one thing to hit a 74 mile per hour Josh Tomlin curveball out, it's another thing to take a Corey Kluber fastball oppo. And what Otani did yesterday with that Corey Kluber pitch was one of the best pieces of hitting I've seen this year and shows that, yeah, even if this guy ultimately is going to be a pitcher because he's so good on the mound, you can get production out of him with his bat when he can do that to one of the best pitchers in the world.
0: We're talking to Jeff Passan. You know, Jeff, the thing that's amazing to me, well, it's all amazing to me, but one of the really interesting aspects was that was his first at-bat in five days. So if you're Mike Socha... And you've seen what he can do at the plate and on the mound, and you also know how specialized both aspects of the game are. How do you go about balancing Otani pitching and hitting over the course of the season?
3: That is a great question, and if I had the answer, then I probably wouldn't have written the stupid crap that I did. <laughs> and, and, and I think that I, I'm glad that Otani is proving that there are outliers and that there are freaks. And he's not there yet. Look, uh, I'm just as ridiculous one week into the season saying he's able to do this as I was in spring training saying he's not able to do this. I think all of us, as excited as we are about this and as caught up as we are in it, should acknowledge that it's going to be months and maybe a full year until we know the reality of Otani because he's still got to face the adjustment that pitchers are going to make toward him. And they are going to find holes. When you have a guy as big as he is, with a swing as unique as his is, there are holes, and they're going to find them and exploit them. And the question's going to be, can he adjust to them? In addition, there's going to be the fatigue factor. Japanese players, especially pitchers coming over here, generally struggle in their first season to adjust to a schedule where they're pitching more often than they did back at home. And I know the angels are trying to mitigate that some, but there's only so much you can do. And then there's the point uh, that, that you're bringing up as well about just how Otani uh, can adjust when he's been sitting down and what the right amount of time is in between. I think what's going to dictate that, frankly, is his production. If he's hitting like this every day, Jim, how can you not have him in the lineup as often as possible? And how can you not move him up from the 8-hole to the 5- or 6-hole, potentially? Uh, I mean, that's the scariest part of all this. It's not just that Otani can hit. It's that he's been one of the Angels' best hitters, period.
0: Jeff Passon joining us, I agree with you. I mean, if he continues to swing the bat the way he is, you got to move him up. Not only let him swing the bat, but move him up higher. All right, Jeff, other big baseball story the last few days, of course, Yankee fans booing Giancarlo Stanton after he struck out five times in his home debut. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say that that was a great performance by him by any stretch, but were you at all surprised to see Yankee fans booing him the way they were?
3: You mean the guy who leads the team in home runs right now? The guy who's slugging 700 and has an OPS over 1,000 on the season? Was I surprised to see him getting booed? No, because New Yorkers uh, can be idiots. But at the same time, the the booing was ridiculous and absurd and so unnecessary. I, I almost think it's part of being a New Yorker where you feel like you have to be an ass to the new guy just to show him what it might be like if he continues down this path. What they need to know about Giancarlo Stanton is very simple. He is going to go through stretches where he looks like one of the worst players in the world. He has had these stretches in Miami throughout his career where you just sit there and you shrug and you say, how is this giant man with with the strength of three combined looking so bad on the baseball field and then all of a sudden he'll change his swing a little bit and you see the way his stance has evolved he's almost like Cal Ripken in that he's had different stances at different times in his career he'll find something that he's comfortable with and he'll start hitting balls 480 feet and they'll be like oh that's why and it takes time and it takes patience to deal with a player like Giancarlo Stanton because he can disappear for long periods of time, but in the end ultimately, you will take those fugue states like Walter White that he has just roaming about looking for himself and you'll get the great production that you know by the end of the year he breaks.
0: Yeah, you can be patient and you can wait or you can wait 18 hours in his next at bat and see him hit one yeah. 480 or that too. <laughs> Jeff Passon joining us. Jeff, what about Charlie Blackman in the Rockies? That was some deal. Six years worth a reported 108 million bucks. What do you make of that deal for him and for the team? It's
3: an interesting deal, because my first instinct was, okay, Jason Worth went out into free agency at 32 years old and got seven years and $126 million, and that was almost a decade ago. But I talked with a a bunch of people yesterday, and they brought up a couple of points. First off, nobody's ever going to get that deal Jason Worth did. That, That is a unicorn of a deal and a feather in Scott Boris's cap. But I also think that doesn't make this Blackman deal Bad, I think what happened is that the market changed, and that Charlie Blackman recognized there were a number of forces working against him. First off, that he's 32 years old, uh, and 32-year-olds going out into the free agent market now simply don't get paid. Lorenzo Kane was the highest-paid one this offseason, uh, ended up getting five years and 80 million. Blackman, over the same age period, will be getting five years at $94 million. And you can argue that he is a superior player, but there's also the second mitigating factor, which is that he's, he's a Rockies player, and that at Coors Field last year, his OPS was 455 points higher than it was on the road. And when you take those two things into account and add in the qualifying offer and all the mitigating factors there and the fact that he really likes Colorado and didn't really want to end up on either coast, The Rockies made the most sense for him, and he frankly made the most sense for the Rockies. So I like the deal for both sides. I think it was a smart deal, well executed. He's not going to be in the glut with Bryce Harper and Adam Jones and A.J. Pollock uh, and Andrew McCutcheon and all the other outfielders there next offseason. And he's not going to be one of those guys who ends up in January saying, where am I and what? where did all my leverage go?
0: Alright, so a quick follow. What's that deal tell you about the free agent market for the other guys you mentioned next season, Bryce Harper et al.?
3: I think I think the you need to separate those two, because Harper is... I, I Frankly, I shouldn't have mentioned him there, because Harper and Machado are in their own stratosphere. And Kershaw to an extent, too. He's a little different because he's a legacy player, and the Dodgers want him to be in their uniform for their whole career. But Harper... I'm going to be writing on this either this week or next, where Harper's contract starts, and I wonder at this point if it starts with a four, if that's the floor of where it's going to be, hmm. because if we look at what Jose Altuve ended up getting, his extension was about thirty million a year. If we look at what Trout's getting this offseason or this season and the next couple, thirty-five plus million a year, there's room to go forty million a year on a guy like Bryce Harper. Wow. And there's room to give him 10 years as well because he's going to be hitting free agency Jim at 26. Right. So, so the notion of a $400-plus hundred plus million player is very realistic. And if Bryce Harper goes out and has an MVP-type season this year and brings the marketing cachet that he has, which, look, compared to the NBA or the NFL is nothing, but for Major League Baseball is as good as it gets. And if you feel like you can build your franchise around him, would you consider starting that contract with a five?
0: Well, that's, oh man, that's something else, Jeff. I mean, you're worth whatever anybody will pay you. You're worth whatever you can get if that check doesn't float. But can you get your arms mm-hmm. around that, that contract starting with a five? A five.
3: Here's why I can. And I think it ties back into what the free agent market was like this offseason. I talked to somebody who is really plugged into this stuff and has been studying it for decades. And he believes baseball is not going to turn into a stars and scrubs sport necessarily, but that's going to follow the NHL path where you have uh, the best of the best getting paid obscene amounts of money. And then you have pretty much everybody else getting paid a million or two million a year, which, which to me, you, everybody here listening, particularly the clones, because most of them don't have jobs. A million dollars a year is an incredible thing, but in terms of the revenue that baseball is making every year with $10 billion plus right now, it's a drop in the bucket. But what happens is those great players end up getting the lion's share of the money, the middle class dies, and everybody else is fighting for the leftover spots. Good night now!
4: How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.